Greetings and welcome to another edition of Good Gas Mondays with me, Crystal Tomlinson. It's where we take some time every week to find some good ideas, good conversations, and empowering stories to give you the proper perspective on what life really can do for you if you show up in a deliberate way. It's not about creating the stories, it's about finding the real stories of people who have applied themselves, done the grit work, and have come out on the other end of a beautiful process to their butterfly period. Is there still more room for growth? Absolutely. But have we grown? Yes. And we're going to count it and we're going to talk about it and share those lessons. My guest today has one of those powerful stories that make you feel like you could sprout wings and head to the moon. For me, she's perhaps the Jamaican version of a Neil Armstrong. She has really touched a space where almost no black woman has gone before. Her name is Ayana Samuels and she is a rocket scientist. Inhale that. She's Jamaican and she's a rocket scientist. A graduate of MIT, Massachusetts, Massachusetts Institute for Technology. Of technology. Of technology. Okay. Because I'm so I'm so well versed in saying MIT. Right. I forget sometimes to break down the acronym. Precisely. So I'm excited to talk to her because her story is grounded in her respect and love for the Jamaican space, the need for development here, and then using all that world-renowned skill set to pull things together for us locally. And that, I think, is a noble task. First question for Ayanna. Have you gotten the Musgrave Medal yet? Have you gotten the Prime Minister's Award for something, something, and the, the different crests and stuff? Because I think you deserve it by now. Well, thank you so much, Priscilla. First, I want to say thank you so much for having me on Good Guest Mondays. It's, it's a an honor and a pleasure to be here. I have not yet. No. Yet. But thank you, those awards. But it's an honor that you'd ask. Thank you. I am inspired just by the gravitas of, of what you have done. Thank you. Prior to 1972, there was no black woman who got her master's degree in rocket science. I'm going to call it that. Right. It's very close. Between 2005 and 1972, there was no black woman who had received such an honor, a master's of science in aerospace. 1972 was the last time a black woman had received a master's of science in aerospace. And in the 32 years after that, it had not been so. 33, pardon me. And so I was the first person to break that 33-year drought in 2005 when I earned my Master's of Science in Aerospace Engineering from the Massachusetts Institute of Technology. Ayana, how did you get there? Tell me, tell me where you started Yes, to how you got there. Thank you, thank you. It started with my wanting to be an astronaut, and this is something I had as a blazing ambition from preparatory school. And I would think to myself that it is so phenomenal that this is one solar system, but there are others. What possibly exists out there? How amazing would it be to explore that? And I felt a very humble sense that we are but one planet and we don't know what else exists. And I wanted to be a part of finding out that solution and, or shall we say, discovering that. And when I would speak with my parents about my desires and ambitions, they were incredibly supportive. And Crystal, if our, lesson, if our listeners take one thing from this, I want to speak to the power and necessity of the village being supportive. Mm -hmm. My parents had no reason to have faith in my ambitions. They knew no other, and still no, no other aerospace engineer, but they gave me no reason to feel that this was out of the ordinary. You want to be an astronaut, that's what you'll be. Next thing, what do you want for dinner? You know what I mean? <laughs> and so they feel that desire, they feel that ambition, and whenever there were news articles about astronauts, they would share it with me to show me how seriously they were taking me. 
And as I continued throughout high school, this ambition continued. And there were teachers who would laugh at my ambition, but notwithstanding, the people who meant the most to me did not. Yeah. And so I proceeded forward. And by the time I got to third form, I was choosing my subjects based on the fact that I wanted to be an astronaut. And in fifth form now, the conversation began where, I'm, well, even before fifth form, the conversation was where would I go to to pursue this at the tertiary level? And in all the reports I would read, MIT kept on coming up as the world's best place for individuals who want to do aerospace engineering or engineering in general. And I thought to myself, well, that's where I want to go. Whenever I'm doing anything, I want to do it to the best of my ability. If there is an off level that you can go beyond where I'm at, I want to find out how can I unlock the keys to get there. And so I put my interests out there and it was very, very supported. I remember when I was in fourth form, my sixth form teacher was a young man, Fionn Damdar, who had applied to MIT and got in. And because he was aware of my desires, he let me tag along with him for the process. He told me when he had applied, when he was admitted, he showed me his admission certificate and they did something really cute at the time. They give you a half of the degree and said you'll get the other half when you graduate and I found that very motivating. But I remember that he wasn't perfect. He would mm -hmm. make spelling mistakes on the board. He couldn't spell to save his life. <laughs> and that made it very real. Yeah. You know, and so as you prefaced or taught today, I like the fact that you spoke about being proud of being Jamaican. Because as much as anybody else might have said to me, go for it, Ayana, you can do this. It was another Jamaican who looked like me, who spoke like mm -hmm. me, who applied, who wasn't perfect and got in, that gave me the confidence to go for it and only one student was getting in per year at the time to get into MIT. And so when I applied, there was incredible pressure and there were others who had applied and those other individuals, I remember I had a relative who was going to MIT, which often you know, can at least make you feel that this can yeah. give you an up you know, in the process, but we have to have faith in ourselves and we have to do these things with a mindset that says it's possible. I tell people who I speak to in motivational talks that if you and I start a race and we cannot envision ourselves coming first, we will never run with the gusto, which we would have run with if we could see ourselves on that pedestal and we could hear the Jamaican anthem. And so I applied as if I deserved a seat at the table. And when I got in, it was amazing. And I continued along the path. So there. So you started out, little girl, right. envisioned yourself in space, correct, doing the engineering, whatever it took to execute that particular goal or correct. dream. Correct. As you're traversing that space as a teenager, because there's a lot of unknown for us oh, as young absolutely, adults. Absolutely. How did you navigate naturally that need to maintain confidence in yourself because you can be confident today and not so confident Absolutely. tomorrow in fact, you, you can't be confident today and not confident this afternoon yes i think the trusted village played such a significant role and the village has many aspects because at high school also the teachers really made us feel like excellence was the only option and so I was educated in an environment where if you got 97%, the conversation would be, so Crystal, what we think the 3% that you didn't get? Because you are 100% material. I know you are, so let's talk about what went wrong in this question that made you lose the three marks. And children are like sponges. If you make them feel like they are worthy mm -hmm. of the best and that they can accomplish the best, they will believe that. But by the contrary, if we put them down, 
that will also be something that they'll believe and they'll act it out. And so in that kind of environment, I felt like I was already a professional, but my profession at the time was being a student. And so you always were seeking to up-level, to hit the bar that you were told you can arrive to. And so that was very um, fertile soil, shall we say, yeah. for the growth of the best you can be. And within that also, even though that environment made you feel you could be the best you can be, my parents also always made me feel that your best is enough. They would never ask me about my grades. Are you doing your best? That's all that matters. I don't even know if they really process that report. We didn't even have to show them. You're doing your best, that's all that matters. And so that also allows the child to be, I think micromanagement mm -hmm. of our children also stresses them out. I mean, when I see people going into GSET now to go to PEP and the stress they're under at age 10, at age 11, it really makes me very concerned. So I think it's, it's that combination of the yin and the yang. I was very involved in um, dance. I was a student at Jamaica School of Dance, also Jamaica School of Music. So I had other avenues to express myself. And that continued to MIT because I was only one class away from doing a minor in theater arts. I love theater, so I was on stage acting. I was sewing costumes. So on one hand, I had my rocket science homework, and on the other hand, I had to rush the theater because I was finishing the design of the skirt for my theater class. And all those things, I think, lead to the rounded individual. But you know, Marcus Garvey said confidence is half the battle won. Mm -hmm. And when I was growing up, my parents had all these different, shall we say, cert not, not certificates, but emblems on the wall that celebrated different African kings and queens. And so I was raised in an environment that really made me feel I came from dynasties of, of excellence. My conversation around the continent of Africa did not begin with slavery. It began with Timbuktu being the first location of the world's first university. All these kings and queens were adorned in gold and they just looked so majestic. And so I drank that Kool-Aid and I really thought that I came from royalty, which we do come from. Yes. And so when you sow that seed, the black child feels she's indomitable. And I remember my dolls all looked like me and so I never had this feeling like I was a second-class citizen. I remember one day I got a Caucasian-looking doll from a friend of my family and the next morning I woke up and I asked about the doll and my father told me she had had a heart attack and she passed away over the night. Oh, God! And I thought to myself, I was young enough to believe him, so I thought, but that's such a tragedy because she just came and can't believe she had a heart attack. And he said, they had the funeral early in the morning just to make sure the body would not have, you know, rotted, things like that. And I thought, oh my gosh, I wasn't even able to take the last rites and everything. But they were so specific and so intentional about making sure I saw images that made me feel like I can achieve greatness and I am from greatness. And they kept on reinforcing that. So I have never processed my hair. And they kept on making me feel like who I am is enough. And so by the time I got to fifth form, I was one of three girls with natural hair and we have uh, seven fifth forms of about 30 people so 210 people and let's say half of that would be women and then by the time I got to opposite size one of two and wow. so now with lots none of my camping friends are surprised but I think all aspects of 
building up the morale and self-confidence of our young is absolutely critical and we cannot be in denial about the fact that we live in a world with a Eurocentric definition of beauty. You know, so my girlfriends now who have children speak about the fact that it's not enough to buy a melanin doll because the nose is straight, the lips are thin, the hair is soft oh, and wet and my curly gosh. and does not look like their daughters. So we're very happy now that Jamaica has dolls where they look like you and me. Their noses are of West African descent, their lips have, mm -hmm. you know, umph to it. And they're dressed in uniforms in different high schools, they speak patois. And I think that's so exciting, you know, it's and a full conversation. It's a full conversation, which it ought to be. I love, I love. So that story about the doll is gonna stick with me. I just had a, a daughter. She's a little over three, three months old. Congratulations! I, thank you. I gave her her middle name Amina, reminiscent of an African queen. And Lovely. I was, I'm still pondering ways to to have her accept that as part of who she is. One, a woman in charge of herself. Absolutely. Two, a woman in charge of herself who is queen of a kingdom. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Yes, yes. And is capable of leading without a man because that's also part of Queen Amina's story. Of course, of course, of course. <laughs> you know? of she course. used to sleep sleep with the men tonight, kill them and I woke up and she was queen again all okay. by herself. Okay, okay. So it, it was a, it's a little savage but the idea is you don't need a man to do it. Right, right, you right, know? right. By right. yourself you are enough, you're strong yes. enough. And you should own that. I love that. So I'm, I'm already thinking of ways to ensure yes. that she doesn't have to deconstruct these ideas of beauty right. because of the signals now that are going to come from television Absolutely. and the, the cell phone and Absolutely. the iPad Absolutely. And, and the games. Yes. Things that perhaps don't mean to point you in a particular direction, but subliminally they will. Absolutely. And so I'm making note of that is the conversation about Dolly having a heart attack, yes? And we had to have the funeral very quickly. Of course, of course. And Crystal, more so than when you and I were growing up, it's so important to be involved at that level because social media will present images to her that we didn't have not have yeah. to contend with, you know? Unreal, made up, fake bodies Absolutely. that we've normalized into regular. Absolutely. And, and I understand that there are groups on social media for people who are trying to lose weight and they'll give advice that when the hunger pants get difficult, eat tissue, you know, things like that. Wow. And so if we're not able to be a part of the process of what groups is she adding herself to on Facebook? What groups are, you know, is she sort of, you know, wow. being involved with? We don't even know what advice may come her way. So it's so important for us to be conscious of that and to be really intentional about how we create the circle of influence and mm -hmm. how we influence the circle of influence which will affect her. Absolutely. So I commend you about thinking about that. Thank you. Thank you. So I'm imagining now Ayana at MIT, big bold Jamaican woman in yes. the space doing her um, rocket science components yes. but also artsy, reminiscent to of what I think is a rounded Jamaican woman Thank who you. enjoys all the things, the technical thing and the creative thing. Yes, yes, For yes. many women it's by force, not by choice. Like you have to learn to do the maths with the child but you have to sew the clothes because you just not have the money. Yes, yes. Tell me how you know, playing around with and engaging the left brain, right brain yes. as you did something phenomenal. In the moment, did you recognize the impact of what you were doing? 
how much of it were you truly able to enjoy? Yes. You know, was there pressure from you or pressure from other communities that you might have been a part of? Yes. How, how was that experience for you? That's such a great question. There's definitely was pressure initially. And I remember thinking to myself, I'm an ambassador for Jamaica. I'm the only Jamaican in my class. I'm going to have to do very well. And I'm going to have to ensure I represent my country at the par excellence level, which I translated to be A pluses in everything all the time. And it didn't take long for me to realize that no, that kind of perspective will drive you crazy. Mm. And it was a very different environment because whereas in the West, a lot of people, let's say at least some, may believe that there's a greater power that loves you no matter what, even if you call that power the universe, whatever you might term that, I find that in Eastern cultures it can be less so and you people can at least judge themselves much more harshly and heavily by their works, you know, and so your belief about yourself is heavily determined by what how well you feel you might have done at a certain task that means a lot to you or how well your profession of being a student is going in your eyes and the cost of that can be suicide if you feel like you're just not excelling at what you perceive and what your family perceive as your potential. And so suddenly I was in an environment where people were getting their grades, not happy with it, and killing themselves. And that was very, very different for me, as you would imagine. So on top of that, MIT has a system where six months into your, excuse me, six weeks into your freshman year, if your grades aren't going well, you'll get a red flag, like in football, right? And so, you know, look, you have to pull this out. So this is not really going to cut it. And one of the things I was not doing was working in groups. Growing up in our British-based system, it was not something that was encouraged if it wasn't a group project. Mm -hmm. In fact, to the contrary, the way you'd feel is that if you needed to work with somebody, something's wrong with you, you're not really that smart. You know what I mean? You're not getting it. And so I didn't see to do that. It almost felt unethical. But the homework quantity was crazy. So I was having a hard time getting sleep and doing the work but then understanding enough to be alert in the next class because you might have chipped on sleep the night before and it's this domino event. So I got a red flag, you know, and I thought, oh my gosh, I have never gotten anything close to this academic performance. My world is coming down, this cannot be. And I remember a fellow Caribbean sister said to me, you know, tell me, are you working in groups? And I said, no, I'm not. And she said, girl, you can't do that. The professors give you homework, assuming you're gonna work in groups. So they give you more homework than you can do by yourself. So the way it works is that you must work in a group, decide on how you're going to approach the question and what the outline will be of getting to the solution and then you write up the solution yourself. But that is not seen as cheating. In fact, there is no professional reality where you're going to get a major engineering objective to accomplish and then you and Jesus work it out. No. You're going to have team members, you're going to work on this, you're going to work on that, you're going to work on this and then we come together and we talk strategy around mm. how we're going to get this rocket to outer space. And so that really changed things for me. Started working in groups, but even so, it wasn't a situation where it was A plus, A plus, A plus at the end of the year. And so I really had a talk with myself and I said, you know, what is the purpose of your education? The purpose of your education is to learn the different strategies and theories that will allow you to be a certified aerospace engineer. But also, there's this question of holistic education, which Martin Luther King speaks of, that education has to be that which lends to the full and holistic character of a human being, as a paraphrase. And that brought me to two things. I said to myself, first and foremost, that Ayano, 
even if you don't understand and get everything in the semester you took the class, the key thing must be that you must leave understanding fluid mechanics, mm. right? Mm. And so even if subsequent to the end of the class you have to get some feedback to understand that concept you didn't get, do that because at, at the end of the day that's what matters, that you understand it, take it and use it in the future. But also, who you are is enough and once you give it your best, if your best in that moment was a B, it's okay, that's just how it went. And the classes are graded on a curve. What that means is if all of us, if 90% of the class get 90%, but then one, a few people get 98, 90% can still be a B because you're always compared to everybody else. It also can work in your favor if nobody understood the test and the average score is 34%. That can also be a B. You know what I mean? 34 could even be an E because the best anybody was able to get a B is 34. So what that meant was there are times when you may get a B and you did well, but there were just some people who just blazed and completely impressed the professor. So I said, you know, Ayana, let's stop working on a grade-by-grade -grade basis because you are seeing some cultures take that to the point of running themselves of their lives. <clears throat> Excuse me. Let's just say we're going to do our best and our best is enough. Once I did that, I felt like a weight came off my shoulders. I was much happier. And you know, it's surprising that in the process of enjoying the journey and ensuring that you learn the concepts, you end up doing well. And so I did end up graduating with a GPA above norm. And at the same time, I was very involved social and campus. I was involved in things involving the Society of Black Engineers, Society of Black Students. I remember we had demonstrations against what was seen as an incorrect definition of affirmative action. Many people think that it's just a, a function of filling a quota, but how MIT administers affirmative action is that we go into communities where people who are, let's say, not of majority ethnicities or majority cultures are made to feel like there isn't a seat for them at the table. And so they'll have conversations, for example, with students of color to say, are you thinking of applying to MIT? Your guidance counselor has told us that you guys are best in class. Make sure that you apply. And we tell them that there are other students who apply and who will be able to say, I have done these advanced classes. But we know that if your mother has a young child and you're a part of helping that mother with raising your brother or sister, that also speaks to your ability to balance yourself. So don't think that your CV only has to be, I've done these six form classes and I've entered the math Olympiad, etc. We want to know your unique story. If you're in a reality where you have three younger sisters and you're waking up at night and helping to feed them, but still maintaining these grades, that is something we want to hear too. So letting them know that there is no one cookie cutter look for success. There's no one cookie cutter feel for the student they will accept. We want all stories and we welcome non-traditional stories. And so I really got behind that. I um, co-founded the MIT Caribbean Dance Troupe and we had dance shows that we put on, <laughs> which were amazing. So I was very, very happy. The seven years I spent with the three degrees were easily one, the seven happiest years of my life. Wow. And so I remember my fellow aerospace um, students saying to me, Ayanna, why are you always so happy? You're smiling and you're doing the most difficult major in MIT because it was always said that the rocket science major was the most difficult. And I said to them, for me to even be able to complain about hard work at MIT is such an honor. 
because I come from a country where I didn't play a role in the fact that I'm from Kingston and St. Andrew and that that facilitated a reality where a vast prep became a possibility and a Catholic college became a possibility. I played zero role in what I like to refer to as the ovarian lottery that resulted in the mother pick I got and the father pick I got. And the mother pick and the father pick I got raised me in an atmosphere that made me feel education was important. My father talks a lot about preparing cases from home. And you remember that yellow scat paper, longer than eight by 11, full scat, I think is the terminology. And he would be working on that. So it was a, a well-known notepad that was yellow. Blue oh, lines, right? oh, yes, yes, yes. Right. Yes, so yes, he'd be yes. working, preparing um, for work <laughs> in the nights. And he says, I'd be there at like four and I'd be working too and writing complete foolishness. But in my mind, I'm preparing too, but that's what I saw. And you know, you, you and I know this, a lot of race car drivers have children who are excellent race car drivers and people who are into certain hobbies have children who are excellent in those things too. So the environment that we facilitate is just so, so critical and yes, with, with all those things involved, but with a deep burning reality, as I said, that the ovarian lottery gave me a result that facilitated A, and respect and appreciation of education, B, them even being able to afford a vast prep to put all the cards on the table and what that therefore led to in terms of how I would have then been prepared for the common entrance and everything after that just makes me feel so humbled that I could have been in a reality where I felt MIT was a possibility. I can only imagine how many children throughout the length and breadth of our beautiful country in other more rural parishes who don't even know what MIT is and would never be made to feel like that's a possibility. But they're no different than I am. Absolutely. Their very lottery gave them a different pick. And so the hum the humility that comes from that cognizance is what drove and continues to drive my happiness and my just gratitude for for what this life has brought me because it didn't have to be this way. It didn't have to be this way. There is such a steadiness that, that I get listening to you, as a steady hand certainly for engineering. Um, but a steady mind to put things into proper context and be able to add, not add value, but recognize the value that is added Thank to you. your life. Thank um, you. And that just speaks volumes to where you will end up in this space of, of ICT. Now, I've, I've come in contact with women in ICT, but right. certainly none like Ayana. None like Ayana. So to hear that you have set up a consultancy in Jamaica working yes. towards a, 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 a deepening use of technology in our development exercise well said. tells me that we're going to make it. Oh, because us on the outside are losing our minds because the world is passing us and our politicians aren't paying attention and there's just all these things that we think are going wrong. Yes. But you're in there fiddling and tweaking and making it so that when we're ready to plug into that process, the thing lights up and works. Right, right. What, what is perhaps one of the most inspiring pro programs or projects you've worked on locally, tying in ICT to development? Excellent question. There is um, there's a project I worked on with banana farmers. The World Trade Organization some years ago had changed the preferential tariffs we received for the exportation of bananas. Yeah. And what that meant was a number of farmers who were in the business of um, exporting bananas were no longer able to have that be a viable income source. It was hard to compete with Latin America and what their salaries were for their farmers, etc., which made their products cheaper for international markets which wanted to purchase them. And so I was working on an EU banana sector retraining project 
we were where we were using ICTs to teach farmers how they could use greenhouse um, so greenhouses for example to plant new products and really let's say enter into new farming arenas using ICTs to get them let's say more equipped at what they're doing also they wouldn't have known about greenhouse technology and also them wouldn't even necessarily be aware that they could use something as simple as text messaging to corroborate that the price of tomatoes for the hotel the tomatoes are going to is what the middleman is really telling them because if the middleman were to tell them that they can be sold for less than they're really being sold for they won't they'll probably get a six for a nine in terms yeah. of how much they're willing to sell to him or her so we were very passionate about this project and going out to six banana producing parishes which tends to be some of the ones with the lower socioeconomic, let's say, levels. Mm -hmm. And uh, upon doing so, a number of the farmers I worked with, when we would go through the registration form, would tell me that they had forgotten their glasses. Could I help them to read the form? Mm -hmm. I said to myself, by sheer probability, it doesn't make sense that over 90% of these farmers would have forgotten their glasses. Mm -hmm. And so I realized that, to my horror, easily and I'm, this is easily conservative at least 75 percent of the individuals who ranged ages from 20s to maybe 70s were illiterate but they were also ignorant so what that means is when they would go to the supermarket to pick up their cash for the cane they had caught or the farming work they had done unless they're not working with colors which i imagine they would they, they can't be the kind of certitude you and i have when you quickly get a roll of, of cash together to confirm that you got your $1,370. And so that was extremely humbling for me and I thought to myself, we have so much work to do. And so our objective moved from greenhouse technology, et cetera, et cetera, to literacy and numeracy. And we used a Jamaican envisioned sort of re-numeracy and re-literacy program in the Jamaican accent. But you know, everybody had their headphones so that I don't need to know what level you're at in your literacy process and you wouldn't need to know for mine. But because the examples weren't speaking about snow and you know things that people can't identify with, but the, the man with the banana and the man with the apple and the child and the go-kart, things that they could really resonate with, we found the levels to spike in your rate to literacy. So the whole effort of the program changed. That became our new objective. We found men and women coming into the telecenters to learn in this way. But what inspired us is that it was being used in ways that we wouldn't have envisioned. So some of the women in the community who would have been more literate were coming in and learning about birth control practices and what they could do to own that in their relationships. And of course, now we're talking about changing generations once you start yeah. to equip people with that kind of you know, knowledge and ability to chart their own path. And so that for me was the most moving um, sort of work I've done because most phenomenally it reminded me <clears throat> that Kingston and St. Andrews is a bubble and that the majority of our country is built of, you know, working class people who really, really work harder than we'd ever imagined from sunrise to sunset, but who are not necessarily in a reality where they are comfortable with their ability to be a functional member of our society. So they're passing signs on the road and they don't know if it's saying detour or don't pass here, the bridge may um, fall out. And, and that is a slight on our educational system. That if you're not 
you know, from these small sections of our country where you'll be afforded an education that will allow you to read a basic registration form. The form had name, address, age. It didn't ask for their opinion on the current political climate and what they think we should do for climate change, you know? Mm -hmm. It was very basic things, and I think we are doing an injustice to our country. If I can go across these parishes and find people with eight children, 10 children, you know, certainly much older than I am, could be my father, etc., who can't identify at age 50 what N-A-M-E signifies. And so it made me very, very passionate about being an agent of change. But it, as I said, it made me also realize that I'm from a parish that's a bubble. It's not a reality and we ought not to act as if it is. And so the fire in our bellies ought to burn for the reality of our country where there is such a disconnect between where people are and what they would need to have a dignified, let's say, quality of life. So it's, it's amazing that you bring up this concept of dignity because it's something that has been playing to my spirit okay. since about okay. September. Okay. That question of do we really meet the real need of an individual, their ability to, we say enjoy life, but when we talk about enjoying it, the photos that we put up don't reflect what human joy right. really is. Love that. And that's based in dignity. Yes. Do I feel like I've had to sacrifice the parts of me that matter the most to amass these things that don't matter much? Right. So I can have standing and status. Right. So am I living among the wealthy but feeling myself devoid of wealth right. because I don't have my dignity? Yes, yes, yes. That's a basic need that we have to meet before. And I'm not saying one can't happen if the other doesn't happen. But as we think about expanding the roadways in Kingston, if a man in Ramble in Westmoreland can't read, don't fix the road. Right. Don't fix the road. We right. can fix it eventually, and if yes. you have enough money to do both, but the priority has to be dignity for all Jamaicans. Absolutely. And then we start to design for flavor no, and flair. No matter where you're from. Yes. And, and what happens is people rise or fall according to the bar that's set for them. And so if people get used to a reality without dignity, they can begin to stop asking. And so I remember at the very sessions I attended, we had a minister of parliament attend during the session and people were ingratiating themselves and groveling and acting like, oh, can I please touch the hem of your garment? And that's what happens when you rob people of dignity because they feel their whole reality then is wrapped up in whether or not this person may drop any breadcrumbs for them mm -hmm. as they go along their way. And that pained my heart to see grown men and women acting like that. And it, it, it's into my mind absolutely speaks to your point of ensuring people know they deserve dignity, they have a human right to it, and they have a right to remember that as parliamentarians, these are our servants, and we ought to ask that they meet the bar of whatever they promise they're going to do in order to earn our votes. Absolutely. And so that's something I feel very strongly about. And I remember one of the things that really struck me in those sessions too is that my fellow Jamaicans have such a hard time believing that I am Jamaican because there's a certain construct in their mind that's very singular around what being Jamaican looks like and feels like, and they're not exposed enough to different realities. So upon speaking to me, they thought, no, they asked me if I was from Europe. And I said, no, 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 I'm from Kingston. And it was so hard for them to, let's say, um, piece together their mind because Jamaicans only spoke a certain way and looked a certain way and in the group mind might not be able to speak standard English in a certain way, etc. So that showed me that there's so much more work left to be done. Oh my goodness. I'm ready. I'm ready to redo 
all of my perspective on what it really takes to serve people. Oh, I love that. I God love that. believe. I love um, I'm ready to rework it. Um, so we, we've gotten out to a place where we have a rocket scientist in Jamaica working to develop the yes. space. Yes. Have you... I, I, I forget the term. There's, a, there's an African term. It will come to me eventually. Gone back and, and sort of mentored, lent a hand, pulled somebody up and yes. into this unheard of reality of what yes. Jamaica could do. Oh, I love that. And let me just clarify something. In terms of developing the space, my objective is to address basic human rights needs. Mm. And so I use uh, the a symbiotic relationship of aerospace technologies with different information communication technologies to bring greater access to basic human rights for those at the lowest ends of the socioeconomic ladder. And I thought I'd just made that clear yeah. for our listeners, etc. But the going back for me has been twofold. I have literally gone back. Thankfully, due to my father, I returned to Ghana. And I say returned because I feel like our ancestors were very good reason to feel that some of our ancestors might have come from Ghana. So I had that opportunity and uh, I traveled to the Cape Coast Fort where they would hold our ancestors before we were placed on the ships. And that was so, so life-changing for me, Crystal, because I remember I entered an equivalent of an auditorium where they would hold people who would eventually be enslaved Africans and the auditorium in terms of its height was easily, okay, so I'm five feet, perhaps about 25, 30 feet tall or maybe, yeah, 25, 30 feet tall and, but the, the sole ventilation was a hole in the wall that was perhaps, I want to say maybe 10 inches by 10 inches. And this room could hold maybe upwards of 400, 500 people. But when you're in the room, you would be kept there for upwards of about four months until they had amassed what they thought were enough people to go on the ships. And so what this meant was you, you had to stay, you had to urinate, defecate, everything in that one space. And you know women do special things mm -hmm. every 26 days. That also had to happen there. And so when I got to the room, there was still a line over 200 years since slavery that excrement came to with the people standing in the room. And I don't know how these people slept because did they sit down? Did they, they weren't, everybody couldn't lean against the wall because there's so many people. I still haven't wrapped my mind around that, but I kid you not, there is still a scent wow. from the excrement over 200 years later, I kid you not. And so when I left that experience, I stood so much taller, realizing that we come from unbelievable greatness. For anybody to have had that happen and then still survive the Middle Passage and still survive the horrors of slavery, to then give birth to your grandmother and my grandmother, which eventually lends to me, who am I to believe that anything I consider is impossible? Who am I to even consider that greatness is not within my reach given what has been accomplished? So that really motivates me to want to lift as I climb, as I think you're speaking to. And so I do work primarily with younger children in motivational talks and motivational, um, shall we say, just acts of helping people to realize that they can really, really be anything that they want to be. And so that takes a form of graduation talks, it takes a form of going to different schools, but I personally have felt very passionate about students realizing that the world is their oyster in terms of their tertiary education. Mm -hmm. So many of us 
I think are not applying to some of the world's best universities because we feel that A, it's too expensive, so we don't know financial aid is there, and B, they may not accept us. So I received financial aid for MIT that I don't have to pay back. They have what's called need blind aid. What that means is Crystal applies, once she meets the educational requirements for acceptance, we will meet whatever her financial need is even though she's not a citizen of the United States. Many people don't know that. And the better the credentials of the school, the higher the probability that they'll have this kind of need blind aid. And so in 2017, I went on a school tour, going to different schools, speaking to their fifth formers, speaking to their sixth formers, primarily trying to plant seeds of belief and having them understand that, look, I'm just like you, I was able to accomplish this, and you can do so too. You can reach for the stars, go to the Harvards, go to the Yields, go to anywhere you want to go that's best in whatever you want to do. Because when I was applying to university, aerospace engineering wasn't offered at St. Augustine, which is the engineering arm of the University of the West Indies. Certainly wasn't offered anywhere else. And I definitely wanted to go to wherever would have been best for that. So if MIT were in Bolivia or in Moscow, I would have gone there too. It was irrelevant for me where it was. And so that's something I felt very passionate about, really sort of moving to lift as we climb and certainly I would not be sitting here with my story if individuals didn't do so for me. So when I twin the opening of the third eye with my return to the motherland, with the wanting to work with the younger ones and even folks older than me too to help to move us to the next level and as you say conquer fear and that's something that you're very passionate about and moving forward with that's something that's a very big part of me that I continue to move forward on. Um, as expected, the word came back to me. It's Sankofa, okay. return and get it. Yes. And for many people, they use it to speak to returning to the legacy of, of where we come from as, as descendants of kings and queens yes. and getting that and bringing it into the present. Yes. Um, but I, I believe it also serves that question of going back from whence you came, you know, where you started when you were just dreaming of certainty or uncertainty, lack yes. or abundance, yes. just going back there and seeing who is in that space that I was once in that needs to be reminded of the potential and the possibility, which is exactly what you've been doing. Love that. I am almost back at my 16-year-old self and wondering, had yes. I met Anayana at 16, yes. how different would my life have been? For any teenager who has happened to meet you, I am confident, supremely confident, that you have turned a page oh, why thank you. for them. Why thank you, that means the world to me, thank you. Undoubtedly, undoubtedly. So as we close the interview, my final question is always about fear. Coming from that self-assured space, knowing that you had the opportunity, potential, and supported the community to do what you wanted to do, what big fear have you had to really kill in order to continue taking things to the next level? You know, the fear that still exists is, am I producing the return on investment that I want to produce for given all the things I've been blessed with? You know, the adage says, to whom much is given, much is expected. And the what I ask for myself is the highest. Yes, I, I want to feel like when that day has come, and my eulogy is written, it will say the world is a better place if I am having been there. And I'm cognizant that we're writing our eulogy daily, and I want to make sure that it is a game changer, that it's a bestseller, 
and that most importantly it changed the world for good so I'm always asking myself am I up leveling am I being the best version of myself how can I be better at what I'm doing and the impact I'm making and am I really hitting the bar of accomplishment that I want to hit but at the same time and I say this to younger people too be very careful with the pressure that you put on yourself you know and so it's that mix because a big part of the things I have done is that I'm always hungry mm. and I think that the the game is won by the hungriest com player not necessarily the one that's most skilled so you want to stay hungry and you also want to ensure that your reach always exceeds your grasp if when you reach for something you can easily get to it then your reach is not exceeding your grasp and there'll always be some anxiety when your reach exceeds your grasp because you're wondering will I be able to get there but in addition to my professional life I'm also a triathlete bodybuilding and fitness competitor and I decided I would be a triathlete before I learned to swim and so for those who don't know a triathlete swims in open water and then cycles and then runs in the same event and I decided Crystal at 36 years old that I was going to be a triathlete because I admired the prowess of people who do that but I did not know how to swim and so what I did was I started learning in the August and I decided I was going to compete in April at Jake's which is an off-road triathlon in Treasure Beach oh. and I told people about my goals so that I knew that if I didn't do it I'd be embarrassed it helped me to be uncomfortable and I started my swim classes I didn't have my own mountain bike at the time I bought a mountain bike and was on my way my reach more than exceeded my grasp and the consequence of not reaching it would have been dead in open water and I didn't have a wheel or anything at that time it would not have gone so you had well. no plan to die no, no plan to no plan be right I had to get this done and the process of training I mean so many things happened so many different injuries etc but I stayed the course because we were never promised it would be easy but we know it would be worth it mm. and so I give that example because when I completed that triathlon alive and well I just felt oh my gosh there is nothing I can't do you know and I said to myself courage is not the absence of fear it's moving on despite that fear and so I tell myself again I'm so blessed and humbled for what I have been afforded just keep on making sure you're checking in every day with the question of is this the best way to get to where I want to go almost like if we're trying to get to a destination and you just keep on checking the map you seek counsel from your advisors, from your mentors, from your village, and you trust that inner voice. But you also give yourself permission, I don't even like to choose the word fail, but to reassess and say, okay, maybe I've learned a lesson from this. Mm -hmm. I thought this would take me to point A, but I realized now I'm at, I don't know, D. How do I then reconnect and with the knowledge of that path to D, get to be in a better way, which means that you're only advisor for it. And so the journey continues, I continue to learn. I'm, very very far from where I still want to be but I'm humbled that every day presents another opportunity to write another page in the book of the eulogy. I love it. Thank love you. it. Thank there's you. a there's a phrase that is really tied to um, the profession then of aero, aeronautics as what we call it? Aerospace because it's aeronautics and astronautics so the combination is aerospace. Aerospace. Yes. Course correcting. Mm, yes. Course yes, correcting. Yes, yes, yes. And if you're not careful, being in space will take you to many spaces. Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> but you have to just be conscious, constantly looking to see where am I going? Go. Is this my north? 
no, yes. no, no. It's not my North. I love it because mind. of where we would have decided we wanted to be and how we wanted to get there. In fact, no. You want to stay stubborn on the goal, but flexible on the path to uh, it. And so course correction can become possible. If you and I are on a hike to get to the Blue Mountains, we could decide in our room here, here's the path we're going to take. But upon taking it, we may realize that there's some fallen trees. And so this makes more sense. And that's okay too. Give yourself permission to correct the course. Uh, Give yourself permission to make a decision about what's best for you with the knowledge you have now that you didn't have when you wrote the plan. And just keep on going. And know that that's okay. And the people publicize their successes, Crystal. They don't post their, let's say, the, 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 the struggle. The trauma. So don't judge yourself by how that person from your class is doing. Know that he or she has struggles too, but they don't go public with it. And just continue to move forward, learning from what you have experienced. Because once we have not died, we still have another chance to move forward. Oh, Ayanna Samuels, ladies and gentlemen. The woman to have done what in 33 years no other black woman was able to do. A master's in aerospace space engineering. engineering. I got it. I got it. She's in Jamaica and she's working through the marriage of ICT and development. Yes. Working to see that the most basic needs of Jamaicans can be met with the proper application Perfect. of technology. Perfect. How can people find you to work with you to pick your brain thank to you. send you a note of thank you after oh, listening to I this love interview. that and I should for the, for the younger ones I want to say that I did a double masters actually so I did an aerospace engineering masters of science but I also did a masters of science in technology policy that wow. allowed us to look at the policy issues the economic issues the legal issues around the application of technology so that I would be not just an engineer who is in a lab working on a solution but an engineer who is a leader mm. an engineer who could be the Secretary General of the United Nations, who could be leading the force of dictating how technology should be used for development. Yeah. I can be found at my email address, ayana.samuels at gmail.com. Ayana is A-Y-A-N-N-A dot -A mm. at gmail.com. I'm on Instagram as Ayana Samuels. That's a really good way to find me too. And I'm on Twitter as at Ayana Samuels. It has been an absolute honor speaking with you, Ayana. I am um, same here. I'm I'm woke. There are different yes. ways to woke people. And you can get woke several times in a day, right? Yes. But I really do feel that there has been some important light shed in, in areas that we've not thought to look, perhaps because of where we are predisposed mm. to, to live and work. Mm. Um, so I really want to thank you for thank opening you for up that, that next eye for It's us. been a pleasure. Let me give oh, you a hug. Thank, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. So that's it for this episode of Good Gas Mondays with me, Crystal Tomlinson. I am so, so certain that you would have pulled out golden nuggets from this one. Share the conversation. Don't keep all of this wokeness to yourself. If there's somebody in your space who you think needs to hear this interview, to hear this story, and to pull out some of these lessons, be bold enough to share that with them. We grow by sharing our stories, yes? So you can find me at Crystal Tomlinson on Instagram and on Facebook. Subscribe to the YouTube channel and subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss an interview. It's always a powerful story with a powerful human being who has something to share. Love and blessings to you. Always, thank you. Yes! This, was, this is how I'm supposed to end my day. Trust me, there are some more questions that I wanted to hear. Like with all these qualifications, mm -hmm. if relationship, yeah. yeah. yeah.
yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't want to have another talk about that. Yes, yes. <laughs> so, so, 